This is Dr. Stan May, and you're listening to Drawing from the Well, a weekly podcast by Chronological Bible Teaching Ministries. This is Jonathan Doolin here once again with Dr. Stan May exploring some of the discovery questions from Tyndale's one-year chronological study Bible. Um, this week, we are finishing out the Judges era in the first couple of chapters of 1 Samuel, and then we're getting into um, the beginning of the Kingdom era. The first question that we want to consider is this, how does God use Hannah's barrenness to fulfill his purposes? How significant is the word of the high priest in his official role? Now, these two questions probably seem way unrelated, but actually they blend together so well. Hannah is barren. She can't have children. Her husband takes a second wife so he can have children, not commanded to. He does that, and she ends up, being, she ends up suffering uh, the, the jealousy and the spite of the wife who knows she's not loved as much as Hannah. But Hannah's barrenness harkens back to Ruth, Rebecca, Sarah, and how God uses barrenness to force people to really become people of prayer. Abraham has to pray significantly. Isaac's only recorded prayer is the prayer that he prays when Rebecca is barren. Jacob prays for Rachel because she's barren, and Rachel has to pray. And God uses Hannah's prayerfulness to drive her to her knees, so much so that her pleading, in her pleading, Eli thinks that she's been drinking and that she's come to the temple, but she's just pouring out her soul in agony to the Lord. Eli, in his official capacity as a priest, says, may the Lord grant. When the high priest speaks like that, it happens very infrequently, but even in the New Testament when we see the high priest speaking and said it would be better for one man to die for the nation, John says he's prophesying. Mm. So the high priest has this office from which he speaks that is a significant office, and because of that, he's able to speak and say, uh, what I say should come to pass, may the Lord grant it, and it does. What's interesting, obviously the high priest and the pastor are not 100% one-to-one corresponding um, Old and New Testament offices. But something I've learned from you is even in the way that you conduct yourself in the pulpit, not having, not, not, you know, not taking yourself too seriously, taking the office so seriously, because when you stand in the pulpit, you are speaking on behalf of God. Amen. It's terrifying. Yeah. Amen. Next, how does God call Samuel and what sets Samuel apart as a prophet? Samuel is, of course, the precious child that God gave to Hannah as a result of those prayers. And then Hannah, in turn, in a vow to the Lord, said, I'll give you, and kept her vow. She gave her child to the Lord. He grew up in the temple under Eli's and Eli's sons. Fortunately, because of Eli's influence, he was kept from the wickedness of Eli's sons. And he stayed in the tabernacle itself and would be there at night. And one night the Lord spoke. And the Lord called him by name. In fact, Samuel is called by name more than anybody in any calling that we see in the the Bible. Samuel's name is, the Lord calls him four times. The first three times, Eli doesn't realize what's happening, but eventually he does. And Samuel is told, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. 
Now, he says, speak, Lord, and he uses the covenant name of God. Samuel doesn't use that when he responds to the Lord because the Bible says he does not yet know the Lord. But God has called him, and when God calls him, that calling brings about both conversion and then his setting apart as a prophet. And that setting apart shows up in three specific statements. It says the Lord is with him. This harkens back to Joseph. We remember the story, why was Joseph successful with Potiphar and in prison and with Pharaoh? The Lord was with him. Second, his words came to pass. The Bible says the Lord was with Samuel and let none of his words, the old old translations say, drop to the ground, which is uh, a very common uh, old world expression that means everything he said came to pass. And so it was he, his words came to pass. And third, the Bible says that there was while there was no open revelation, the Lord was speaking to Samuel. And so the Lord began to speak to Samuel, and the message of the Lord came to Samuel. So Samuel had God's message for Israel. Hmm. Next, why did the people ask Samuel for a king, and how does their request display the rejection of the Lord? Two things happen here. Samuel has been a faithful prophet. As we've leapfrogged through the life of Samuel, Samuel's early conversion and then fulfilling of the role of priest and prophet after the death of Eli, Samuel becomes a faithful, godly man who makes a circuit annually, trains the people in the law of the Lord, and the people begin to grow in the law of the Lord. But when Samuel becomes old, because he has spent his time pouring into others, his sons begin to replicate the habits of Eli's sons, and they sadly fall and fail. So the people come and say, give us a king. While the Bible has already told us that a king is going to come, the problem is is they, they ask because they want a king like the nations around them. They don't want to be ruled by Samuel's wicked sons, and, and they see Samuel as old, and so they want a king like the nations. Now, the tragedy of this, Jonathan, is that he's old, but he's not dead. In fact, Samuel will live approximately 25 more years uh, because he will anoint both Saul and Saul's successor, David. And had the people waited, just waited on the Lord, God would have raised up only one king, and that would have been David. Saul was a king, but he was the king of judgment, not a king of blessing. How does God empower Saul to lead the army? And how does Saul's victories affirm his leadership to Israel? Saul is a king of judgment. Samuel warns that, the king you've chosen, he's going to do this, this, and this. And the the Lord thunders and shows them Israel's going to get the king they want first. And that's not God's king, that's man's king. But even then, because they're God's people, he empowers Saul. The Spirit of the Lord comes mightily upon him. This word means to rush upon. It's only used here in an Amos of, of this, in this way, and it's a word that depicts God's rushing power upon Saul, and Saul is, is empowered by God to lead the army, and God gives him great victories. And when that happens, all the people recognize that Samuel is the king. And the first installation when, when, I mean, Saul is the king. And when Saul, when Samuel anoints Saul at the first installation, there are people that are not sure they want him to be the king. But in 13, when, when the spirit of the Lord comes upon him, all the people come together and they 
celebrate his kingship and sort of re-announce it a second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, when Iva was teaching, she she made a connection between in, in Deuteronomy 17, when Moses gives um, requirements for a king, one of them obviously is that they record the law uh, and read it every day so that their head would not be lifted up above their uh, brothers. And the description of Saul that we get is that he's head and shoulders taller um, than all the other Israelites, which is really interesting, especially as we move on. Um, what actions show Saul's disobedience to Samuel's command, and why does God judge rebellion so harshly? In 13, Samuel has told Saul to wait seven days, and then he would come and offer the sacrifice. When the seven days pass, Samuel hasn't arrived. He's on his way because he arrives right after Saul does this foolish activity. But Saul does something so so disobedient that it demonstrates a heart that is of great concern. He offers in the place of the priest. If you remember, we fast forward several hundred years in Israel's history, Uzziah goes in and offers in the place, and God strikes him with leprosy, and he ends up co-ruling with his son the rest of his life and living in shame in a leper's house as a king. God doesn't do that to Saul, but he makes a statement about Saul. He said, I'd sought for a king after my own heart, a man after my own heart. And that tells us that's not Saul's heart. Second, Saul makes that foolish oath and binds the whole nation under a very foolish oath, which his own son breaks because he didn't even hear the oath. And his son has brought victory, and Saul's willing to kill his son uh, because of his own foolish oath. Instead of repenting of a foolish oath, he's willing to kill his son. And then we'll see, of course, the last the last um, sin that's not in today's reading, in the 13th reading, but when Saul doesn't obey the word of Samuel and Samuel comes back and says, to obey is better than sacrifice and to, and to listen than the fat of rams. For re- rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Well, the Bible said don't permit a witch to live. Why? Because a witch leads people astray from God. And a king in rebellion leads people away from God. Hmm. Next, why does Saul promote David? Just to set the context there again, David has already been anointed as king, but Saul doesn't know it. So, so why does Saul promote David? How is David successful? And what problems does David's success cause? Well, of course, this is the great story in the Bible. One of the pictures of Jesus coming to defeat the big foe and David defeats Goliath. I love that story. And, and understanding how big the rocks were makes it not any less a miracle from God, but it shows so much more David's courageous stand. God uses David to give Israel victory over the Philistines, and Saul then promotes him. He sees him, and he's all this time he's been Saul's armor bearer, and he's played music in Saul's house. And people say, how didn't Saul know him? Well, the answer is, is, there are a lot of people that in a king's palace that did servants who did things, and they were nobodies. The king didn't notice them. And so to see this young man who just all had been playing the guitar, basically, suddenly become the giant killer, it was a shock to Saul's system. But he promotes David. He gives him position. And 
the Bible records one promotion after another. He becomes a captain, and then he becomes a general, and then he, at every point he's successful because the Lord is with him, and the Lord gives him victory, and David experiences one victory after another, and finally the ladies are singing about him, and they say, David is slain his ten thousands, and Saul is slain his thousands. Hmm. And at that moment, the green-eyed monster of jealousy rises up in Saul's heart, and Saul fears David, recognizes David could take his place, knows what Samuel has said about someone taking his place, and David ends up spending probably um, 13 to 15 years fleeing. Hmm. Lastly, what does David take as food when he visits the tabernacle? And how does this story illustrate the importance of following the Spirit, not just the letter of the law? David goes to, in his flight from Saul. Now Saul has come to actually try and kill him. And so David flees, and he ends up at the tabernacle. He meets with the, the, the high priest and asks for a weapon, and he gives him the sword of, of Goliath, and he asks for food. And the priest says the only thing that's left is the holy bread, the bread of the presentation that was presented, that God commanded to be presented uh, for the Levites, and it was only available for the priest to eat. But God allows him to take that food, and Jesus uses this as the illustration when the Pharisees come to him and question him about the Sabbath activity. Jesus uses this as an illustration how that God did not judge David for this, but instead reminded them that the bread of the presentation, like the Sabbath itself, it was not made to be a judgment of man. It was made to be a blessing to man. It was not made to be a curse or a burden over men, but to be a blessing to them. And both, and then use this illustration to say, the Son of Man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. Amen. Thank you, Dr. May. Thanks for joining us. Listen in each week with CBT as we draw from the well of the Word to answer questions from the weekly reading of the One Year Chronological Study Bible.